the difference between the two is I see it this way. The victim says, we had a bad month and I don't know, like between COVID and some of the staff not being effectively onboarded and having too many balls in the air at the same time. I don't know, like maybe we just can't do it. Like it's just, I mean, it sucks, but like, you know, COVID and the world is changing so fast and we can't compete with companies like Peloton and all these big companies who have a ton of money. And I don't know, like, I don't know, just sucks. That's the victim. The vulnerable is we had a down month and I haven't figured out why we had a down month yet. And it really bothered me. And I, I took it more personally than I probably should have. And these are the things that I'm doing to assure that we don't repeat the process from last month and have the same result. At Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym. Everybody starts with the best case scenario in mind. Never sell anything to anybody who is not in the market for what you have. The only reason we work out is to create the opportunity to recover. And the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. And this is why you guys need to get paid well, because what you're doing is really, really hard work. Active Lifers, I'm going to get you right into the episode after I tell you about the brand new Active Life assessment that we are rolling out right now. If you're ready to finally break through your plateaus that have been holding you back from your maximum performance... If you want to be able to finally get rid of those chronic low-grade aches and pains that force you to scale workouts that you know you could do with full range of motion, you are going to be perfect for the new Active Life Assessment. It's completely remote. You work with one of our one-on-one coaches for the span of about a week and a half to determine exactly what it is that you need to do to finally get yourself to the place that you want to be in terms of your fitness or the way that your body feels. We've never rolled this out before, but we've had a lot of demand for it. So it's coming your way. And if you're interested in being one of the first 100 people to do this, head to activeliferx.com and get yourself on our list. We'll get you started with a coach. Now let's get you to the episode. What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to another episode of Turning Pro. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. I'm joined by Larry Geyer. What's up, guys? Today, we're going to talk to you, as promised, about how to make vulnerability your greatest strength. Instead of doing something that is self-deprecating and feeling bad about yourself and just exposing all of your weaknesses to the world and complaining about them, we're going to help you today understand how vulnerability is actually a superpower, how you can use it to inspire other people, how you can use it to inspire yourself and to grow your own confidence, and why it's extremely imperative that you do it today. So let's get right to it. How do you think about the word vulnerability when when it comes to mind? Well, that's a different meaning than it used to. It used to, uh, it used to be like you know the the weakness and the potential for danger and the I'm gonna get hurt and uh, I need to protect myself from all of these things. No safety. That's what it used to mean. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know if that 
that resonates with you and with a lot of people that have thought about what it means to be vulnerable in the past? Well, I actually think that that's part of the reason why people are afraid to do it. Right. I, I think I think that when and I was most definitely I can I can speak very very personally about this. Michael Cashew, good friend of mine, formerly the owner of Brute Strength, now president of Working Against Gravity, huge influence in my life as it pertains to conscious vulnerability and using it as a strength. So props to Mike. If you haven't heard of who he is, go check out the Brute Strength Podcast, the Working Against Gravity Podcast. He's great. Um, I avoided it for a long time because of what you just described. It felt like showing the weak underbelly to everybody in the world and explaining to them, this is how you can beat me, which I never wanted to allow anybody to understand. It wasn't until I realized much through the influence that Mike imparted on me. It wasn't until that, that I realized the value of being vulnerable is not being weak. It is allowing others to understand your own struggles, your own weaknesses that you are working on bringing up all of the skeletons that you have in your closet, all of the insecurities that you have and doing it in a way that allows people to know that these are not going to hold me back. These are going to be the things that when I improve, I am unstoppable because of, and it's getting out in front of anybody else in the world who would use those things against you because everybody else would say, yeah, we already know that Sean told us what's more inspiring than that, man. Well, that's the thing. And, and I've heard a great quote and I, I'm, I'll bastardize it because I don't know exactly what the quote was, but the, the, the purpose of the quote was from Tom Bilyeu, who was the former owner of Quest Nutrition. And he talked about the idea that the things that you believe are your best kept secrets about you, about your, about your insecurities, about your strengths, about your weaknesses, about your abilities. You think that those things are so well kept a secret. And those are exactly the things that everybody else sees about you, talks about you to other people without letting you know, because they're afraid that if you know that they see those things, you're going to have more insecurity around them. You're going to feel worse about them. So your best kept secret is actually the secret that the world is keeping from you that they know. Damn. So you're just, as an example, you're just talking about the classic case of, you know, when you've heard someone talking about someone who kind of rubs them the wrong way, and maybe it's a professional or a colleague, for example, a boss or a coworker. And this person goes like, yeah, they just, this whole macho act, like obviously they're very insecure about something. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 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 if you were going to learn how to play basketball, and you were like, I need to find a basketball coach. And, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to work with Michael Jordan because he's the best of all time. And you have access to him. Okay, great. If Michael Jordan never told you, yeah, man, I struggle with that too. You're like, oh, I can't emulate Michael Jordan. I struggle with things that he's never struggled with. There are things that are very difficult for me that always came easy to him. Now that's not true. But if Michael Jordan never obviates for you that those things were difficult for him too, that he struggled with those things too. In fact, he still does. And this is what he needs to do in order to put those struggles behind him. You don't believe that Michael Jordan can relate to you or help you. So it seems like, it seems like 
in demonstrating vulnerability around what your struggles have been or are. The truth in what you're saying and the benefit that can be derived on the other side of it actually becomes accessible to the person who's listening to you. Exactly. So, so I'll give you an example that's, that's from my personal life. You know, I am extremely achievement oriented. What I mean by that is I feel insufficient when I'm not achieving something. And what that means is if we have a bad month as a business, I still tend to take those things personally, even though it's not necessarily because of anything I did or didn't do directly. It's just business ebbs and flows that are part of the process. It affects me personally. I feel bad, right? When we hire somebody and don't fill their book of business right away, I feel bad that I take that personally. And I think most of the people on our team know that, but the world doesn't necessarily know because I don't talk about it all the time. But if our team didn't know that, I just become this facade of fallacies, making promises that aren't true and pretending that I don't relate to people who struggle. Does that make sense? Yeah. To make, so, sure, to make sure it does. So if at the very least, the staff where you are seeking to elevate and give business to by working under our roof, at the very least, they need to know that it negatively emotionally impacts you when you either directly or indirectly couldn't figure out or failed to effectively give them all the business that they understood they were going to get. Yeah. And they need to know that it, that it does affect me. And they need to know that I don't necessarily know why we didn't do it. And I will figure it out. I will hire people to teach me how to figure it out. I will do the research myself. I will lock myself in a room until I have the answer. Like they, they, they can know those things about me. And at the same time, understand that I'm going to error and that I'm going to own the errors and I'm going to apologize for the errors and that I don't necessarily have the answers to why I erred right now in the moment every single time. I think that's extremely important for anybody who's out there who wants to be able to gain trust from other people is being honest about things. And one of the reasons why I used to avoid it was because I didn't know how to do it and I didn't want to conflate the the real vulnerability with the woe is me victim mentality. And I, I didn't have a good way to differentiate the two. Do you know? Yeah. Very, very much Could so. Could you unpack those? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, okay. I wanted to think about it for a moment, which is new for me, by the way, like the last 12 months. So, the difference between the two is, I see it this way. The victim says, we had a bad month, and I don't know, like, between COVID and some of the staff not being effectively onboarded and having too many balls in the air at the same time. I don't know, like maybe we just can't do it. Maybe like, it's just, I mean, it sucks, but like, you know, COVID and the world is changing so fast and we can't compete with companies like Peloton and all these big companies who have a ton of money. And I don't know, like 
I don't know, just sucks. That's the victim. The vulnerable is we had a down month and I haven't figured out why we had a down month yet and it really bothered me. And I, I took it more personally than I probably should have. And these are the things that I'm doing to assure that we don't repeat the process from last month and have the same results. So there's, there's something that I, I don't know what it is. And I'm hoping that in this conversation, you could unpack it for everyone listening here because I don't know how to label it. I don't know what it's called, but it seems like the biggest difference between showing up as a victim and showing up as someone who is intentionally vulnerable is a certain willingness, a certain acceptance and a certain readiness. Totally. To do something. Yeah. You see where I'm getting at here? Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what is that exactly? It's the, because it's in, it's in that it's in what you are about to label for us that people are going to start to understand. Ah, there's the power that lies in vulnerability. Well, I think it's, I think it's Brene Brown is the best mm-hmm. at describing this when she talks about the idea of, you know, daring greatly take big risks. Even if they're not big risks on a global scale, they're big risks for you. You know, asking that girl out. So is it just a willingness to, to, to face and move through adversity? Is that what it is? No, it's more than that. It's, it's being willing to face and move through adversity to me is resilience. The difference between moving through adversity and vulnerability is acknowledging where you're struggling, acknowledging that you are working to improve and actually working to improve. So, you know, Brene Brown likes to quote, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena speech. And, and the idea that like, we're not interested in the opinions of the people who've never jumped into the arena and failed and struggled and stood back up and tried again. Mm. But that if you're, if you're willing to share with the world, what you struggle with, then the world, there's going to be almost like a bifurcation of the world. Some of it is going to say, ha ha, look at you. You suck at that, you know, kick rocks. The other half is going to say, Hey man, I struggled with that too. Here's what I did to get through it. I would love to help you. And if while you're in the arena, the, the metaphoric arena, you can focus on only the people who bifurcated to the left and said, Hey, I've struggled with that too. In fact, I'm struggling with that right now right, and I'm right, working right. through it. I'd love to help you. I'd love to just be an accountability buddy for you. For example, then everybody else becomes like, what, what kind of a shitty place in your life do you have to be in to try to step on somebody when they're down? Okay. So we're dancing around the thing and I think we're getting closer. It's, it's, it's not just the willingness to move forward. It's not just the willingness to acknowledge where you were, where you have to improve and where, where you're going to, to improve, but it's, it's what it's, it's a, it's a willingness to, act. It's the decision that I can be more than this story of what I'm not good enough. And it's ownership. It's ownership over what you were, what you are, what you strive to be all at the same time. Do you think this comes down to, you know, Carol Dweck's basic, basic purpose of growth mindset of in in a way, I understand that I could be more than what I am now. Yeah. But, but I think that again, that, that that falls short a little bit because it lacks the acknowledgement piece. Mm. It's, it's public acknowledgement, if you will. 
when we, before we started the pro path for, for gyms, I sat on it for like a year because I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to teach gyms how to run gyms because I didn't feel like I had the appropriate track record to teach them how to do that. And if it wasn't for me having Ken Andruco as, as my business mentor, tell me just because you didn't have the skills to execute and implement doesn't mean that you don't have the knowledge to teach somebody who does have the skills to implement. It's the old adage of if you can't do coach, right? And I'm the first to tell people I was not the gym owner that I thought I could be. You know, I, 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 when I was in chiropractic school, I knew that I wanted to own a gym and I always envisioned myself just doing like crushing it, doing an awesome job. Who doesn't? And then when I got into it, it was like, wow, there's a lot of managerial duties here that I'm not doing easily. These things cost me a ton of energy. So when I told Ken, I'm like, I can't justify teaching gyms how to do this stuff. I didn't even do it well myself. He's like, well, how many gyms have you been working with since you got out of your gym business who've seen growth? I was like, I dozen maybe, I don't know. And he's like, and how many of them would tell you that they found that valuable? I'm like, probably all of them. He's like, then you're holding back because of the story that you think people are going to find out about you that you could just tell them yourself. Start with the story. Yeah. <laughs> so now, you know, anytime we introduce a new pro path, I tell them, let's get all the reasons out why I'm the wrong person, why I'm the worst person in the world for you guys to be listening to, to be working with, so that you know all the secrets, so that you know all of my insecurities, so that you know all of my shortfalls, so that when you decide to do this, you're deciding to do it in spite of those things. Because now, when somebody else says to you, oh, you're working with active, like, didn't you know that Sean had like, a gym that he absentee managed into the ground, a gym that he bought the wrong insurance for and lost in a hurricane, and the third gym that he basically had to exchange, you know, give away and, you know, give his clinic, the clinic and the gym in exchange for being able to run this company. Didn't, didn't you know that about him? I think like, yeah, he told us what's, what's the difference where if I keep that a secret, and then defend it. And I'm like, no, I was great. What are you talking about? Right, I did an right, amazing right. job. They'd be like, well, that's not what this person, and now right. you're defending your character. What is it about, what is it about publicly declaring your insecurities that now makes your insecurities less scary? It's because it's not about publicly declaring insecurities. And I think that's a good question. It's not about publicly declaring insecurities. It's about publicly declaring past failures mm. that you have, total agency to change. So I do, was, do you think everyone know? Do you think everyone recognized that? No, I don't. Okay. And that's why I think it's important. We talk about it. Mm. The difference between like, I'm still, let me think of things I'm insecure about and, and you'll understand the difference. Um, I'm insecure about the way my body looks. I think I look pretty good, but I look pretty good because I'm insecure about the way my body looks. I understand. Does that make sense? Perfect. I'm not like, oh, fuck it. Like if I get, if I, if I lose my six pack, who cares? No, I'm like, no, 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 that means something. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm going to keep it. Okay. Even if, even if it meant like my health markers went down, I'm not sure that I would be able to relinquish the way my body looks in order to be a healthier person. You. That's reality. That doesn't, that doesn't make anybody. Well, maybe it does, but the difference between that and me saying, I'm, I struggle with follow through. And because I struggle with follow through, I have found people and processes to assure that the things that I struggle with as it pertains to follow through do not trickle down and negatively impact anybody else in the company or any of our clients. Those are different, right? I'm, I'm insecure about the way my body looks on a day-to-day basis. And I want to keep it looking a certain way so that I can be pumped about it as compared to, I struggle with follow through. So I've done the following things to make sure that follow through does not become a weakness to our business. Like it would be to myself if I was on my own. That makes sense. You follow the difference Mm, for sure. So part of this becomes for coaches who are out there for gym owners who are out there. It becomes when the client says to you, can you help me with this? Every gym owner wants to say, yeah, yeah, we totally can. And that's how you end up with, gyms with taglines on their websites that say things like whether you want to go to the CrossFit games or just finally get off the couch for the first time, we can help you. No, you can't. Whether you want to be an Olympian or you just want to finally lift a heavy weight because it looks cool, we can help you. No, you can't. But it's, it's difficult for the gym owner and the coach to own the reality that they are not the best person to help both people. And that's where I think the superpower is. So it's an acknowledging the, what you do poorly, what you struggle with, what's hard, what, what, what you suck at compared to what you're awesome at and deciding because of these things, I'm taking care of shop and making sure that I'm on top of these things so that these weaknesses don't hold me or anyone that relies on me back. Yeah. And the other side of vulnerability is, is radical honesty. Mm. So there are, I'll go back to Mike as an example, because he actually flew into my head as hearing the example I just provided and saying, well, there's more to it than that. So Mike, if you're listening, here's the rest of it, at least the rest of it that I'm ready to share right now. And if more comes, I'll share it. If, if you ask somebody to do something, right. And they're like, no, I can't, I'm really busy tonight, but they're not busy. What they're avoiding is telling you the truth about why they don't want to do that thing for fear that you will judge them for their answer. And there are, there are ways to give an answer that is just inappropriate and unnecessary. Like if you said, Hey, do you want to come out to dinner tonight? If I was like, no, I'm not interested in hanging out with you. That's unnecessary. I can say, no, I'd like to spend some time by myself tonight. And that's totally fine. And then have the conversation with you about why I didn't want to hang out with you that night. I can come back later on and say, look, I want to come clean with you. The reason I didn't want to hang out the other night was because I was still stewing on some stuff that we had discussed earlier in the day. And I wanted to give it some time to run through my mind and have the conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Both of those are hard things to say. Both of them are hard things to say. Very different effects than the listener though. Yes. And if you tell someone I'm busy tonight, then the listener is just like, oh, okay, I can't make it. He's busy. If you tell somebody not, they'd spend some time by myself tonight. Okay. That's interesting. And they might wonder why they might just acknowledge that. Okay. He wants to be by himself. It's not like, you know, there, there's, there's more to it than just he's busy. It's, it's more real. There's mm-hmm. more substance. And 
I remember one time I had a call with Mike that was a very valuable call for, I think, both of us, where he asked me if it would be cool if we had a conversation with each other where we spent, I think, I think he asked for like 10 minutes where he would tell me what he thought I did really well and what he thought I could, or actually he asked me to take it back. He asked me to tell him what I thought he did extremely well and what I thought he needed to improve on. And I told him I would have that call provided that he also told me what he thought I did really well and what I need to improve on. And it was supposed to be like a 10, 15 minute call. It ended up being like an hour, an hour and a half. And the whole time it's like, it's a gut punch, right? Cause you're hearing from somebody who, you know, you respect who you like, and they're telling you like, these are things about yourself that I think are blind spots that you could improve upon. You have to be ready to hear that. And after you've heard it, if you don't act on it, what was the point? You just went through a painful experience that you could potentially carry with yourself and develop insecurities around if you don't be careful with how you ingest that content to to not do anything about it. Can I ask you a question that seems hard to me that might just be easy for you, might be hard either way? What is something that, so I think upon hearing that stuff, there are certain people who have cultivated the, who have practiced the ability to respond in an upward spiral to that stuff. Totally. Right. And I think there are other people who have not and habitually have learned to always respond in the downward spiral to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I'm still working on reacting and responding with upward spirals to all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've gotten much better at it, but it wasn't, it hasn't been my default for a long time. What is the thing that you can give to people that are habitual downward spiralers to that, that can start to move them in the direction of here's why it's worth learning how to upward spiral in response to this. Yeah. I think that the thing to great question, what it was for me that allowed me to actually kind of like stop downward and start upward was who are the people that you're downwarding for? Mm. Right. It's not for you. So who are the people that you're downwarding for so that they don't have to feel bad about how you really feel? And, and when you start to identify, wow, I don't want to tell my business partner the truth because I'm afraid that he won't want to make the changes that I think we need to make in the business. And so because I'm not willing to tell him the truth, I'm sacrificing my energy and my, my sense of self every single day that I walk into this place. What am I doing? Who am I downwarding for? Why am I avoiding this? What's the fear about? I'm already living the worst case scenario. And when you, when you, you have to have those conversations with yourself over and over and over and over again. And sometimes the first time that you have the conversation, it's like, yeah, well, that would be cool, but we're not ready for that. So this could be the coach who is supported by her parents right now, mm-hmm. who's afraid of going all in because you know her parents think that she should be a doctor or a lawyer. And mm-hmm. she's downward spiraling herself because her parents financially support her and would disapprove of her decision. Absolutely. This is an example of how you it's can downward example. spiral for someone else. Yeah, another example of this would be a gym owner who knows they need to raise their prices. They know they need to raise their prices. Because the average member in the gym right now is costing them more than they're charging them, or it's about the same, or there's some profit, but it's not enough money to allow them to actually make a living. And they're afraid to tell their members that they need to raise their price. They're afraid to tell their members the truth and say, look, and, and you wouldn't go this far. Okay. But I'm, 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 I'm sensationalizing this conversation for the context of it. Cause it's what you're actually doing. 
they're not willing to tell their members, this is the kind of life that I live because I'm unwilling to ask you to spend 15, 20, $30 more per month for something that you tell me is so valuable, right? I don't get to take myself out to dinner. I don't get to buy new clothes unless if they're subsidized by the money that you guys spend on new t-shirts for the gym and I get a few for myself. I still drive a car that breaks down from time to time, right? I'm working five o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock at night and I'm still not making ends meet. I've been doing it for four years. I haven't been able to go on a vacation for three years. I still have student loans that I went to college for something, decided it wasn't my passion, but this is, and now this passion can't pay off those student loans. And every day I face having to make the decision of, do I get a real job or do I try to figure out how to make this work? These are the things that you as a gym owner are dealing with and are possibly unwilling to let your members in on. And the only reason that you're not letting your members in on it is because you're afraid of how they're going to respond by punishing you and taking away their business. That's how you feel. When the reality is they're not punishing you at all. They're telling you that they don't value your business at the level that you believe it's worth and what you need to charge them for it, which is a gift. When they do that, it allows you to understand that you have choices. Do I want to create a business that is worth this? Do I want to find people who believe the business I currently have is worth this? Or do I want to not do this anymore? But you're, you're, you're depriving yourself of the gift of the honest response because you're afraid of what it's going to be and what it means you need to do on the other side of it. So the, the, the luxury cars exist and they're not dealing with the question, um, is anyone going to buy this? Could we possibly charge this much? So the decision becomes, do I want to rise to be the kind of product and service that the people who want to buy the luxury item want to pay for? Or do I downward spiral to the point that I eventually have to give up my dream? Hey, do you start blaming everybody else for it? And, and it, the downward part never, never turns around, never becomes happiness that everyone's looking for, right? It's, we live in this space where it's like, I don't want to make anybody else upset. And if I make anybody else upset, these are the reason why is because these are the ramifications that I suffer from. If somebody else ends up being upset, I don't want to suffer those ramifications. So I'm going to avoid making somebody else upset. That's, that's the path we take. That's a path some people take. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, frankly, I think everybody I know it's probably an instinct, right? Yeah. I think everybody's done it either does it has done it. It's, it's, you know, does it in some parts of their life and not in others is working to eliminate it from all of their life. But I think that we all can relate to that kind of a, a thing. I mean, you messaged me the other day. How do I tell somebody that I don't want to do this in my family? Right. It's, there's always a, like a difficult thing in our lives that right. we have to figure out how to man, how, how to best communicate. Sure. And honesty is always the best way to go. The reality, though, is that how you deliver honesty matters. And then how you respond to the world's response to your honesty is what matters most. What would you say are some, some if we can kind of wrap this up with something extremely actionable that people can take away to use in every conversation they're going to have today and every day going forward, what what's a simple way to think about the 
easiest way to have a conversation fall on the, you know, person's going to respond to this relatively positively or relatively negatively side for how to, how to approach a conversation that might create a little bit of conflict, whether it is, you know, moving someone in the direction that they should buy service from you or telling someone that you don't want to hang out with them. There's, there's, I'd rather do that a little bit differently if it's okay with you and get to the same place. Okay. Conversate. I'm going to do conversationally and tactically for business. Okay. So conversationally, who do you need to apologize to? Like there, there is something, everybody has something out there that is like, I was a dick to that person like two months ago for no reason. And it's kind of blown over. It's not a big deal. It's gone, but you still think about it. Apologize. Apologize to that person for what you did two months ago. Why, explain to them why you did it. Explain to them what you thought would happen if you did something different and allow them to respond however they want to. That's a fucking scary conversation. Dude, it's going to feel so good. It's amazing. <laughs> it's going to feel so good. It's amazing. I remember when I wanted to apologize to my ex-business partner for being, I didn't even know. I just knew that our relationship as friends and business partners broke down and I didn't know what I did, but I knew that I had to have some culpability in it. So I also knew I really didn't fucking like him. I really didn't like him. And the last thing I wanted to do was apologize. Right? So I started easy. I apologized to my wife that day for not wearing a wedding ring on a regular basis because I knew that she thought it was important. That was the apology I made that day. And then for a year and a half, I escalated the intensity of my apologies until I finally worked up the balls to call my ex business partner, my ex, one of my best friends and apologize to him for our relationship, breaking down both business and personal and explaining to him that honestly, I'm not really sure where I went wrong. I just know that I have a role in this and I could have been a better friend and I could have been a better business partner. And I want to apologize to you for all of the things that I did that went a different direction. I didn't get like, dude, it's cool. I love you. You're my man. Like that didn't happen. And I wasn't looking for that, but you know, it, it felt amazing to take that weight off of my back. I've never thought about it again in terms of it being a heavy thing from a business perspective. What are you sweeping under the rug? What is the thing that you are sweeping under the rug in your business? For many gym owners, I believe that the thing you're sweeping under the rug is that what we talked about before, you know, you're not charging your members enough money. You know that you're not providing your members a good enough level of service. You know that you don't have a real business, but you want to, you have the passion to build your gym into something that is transcendent, that somebody else wants to take over when you're ready to retire and that everybody in your town, when you go into the coffee shop, when you go to the restaurant, they know your name, they know your accolades and they have reverence for you. I know that many gym owners are dealing with that right now. I dealt with it. And the biggest fear that many of these gym owners have is, I can't raise my prices. Last time I raised my prices at all, a bunch of members left. I can't raise my prices. Well, then 
you don't own a gym. You're actually indentured to your membership because you're afraid that they're going to leave. So instead of just raising your prices for no reason, let's figure out what your prices actually need to be. Let's figure out what services you need to provide to justify your prices going to that price. Let's figure out what the conversations you're going to have are going to sound like. Who is the first person that you're going to tell about this? Who's paying you? How are you going to tell them? What do you expect them to respond with? And what is your response to that going to be? What is your entire process from beginning to end? Why don't you have something that creates a barrier to entry from people coming from the public to gain access to your exclusive club? It's probably because you're afraid if you do that, nobody's going to want to join your exclusive club. You don't know how to get people to join your gym right now. So making it harder to join is scary because if I'm already having a hard time getting people to join your gym at 120 bucks, how are you going to get them to sign up for $1,000 up front and then pay you $300, $400 every month thereafter? It seems insane. That's worth diving into. And it takes vulnerability to admit that you need that kind of help. Mm. I mean, we built a whole program for it. We built our foundations program because we recognize that, I mean, I have a list right in front of me here with all the names of the gym owners who reached out to us about ProPath, who frankly, I didn't think that we could help because they needed much more foundational education, much more personal responsibility and vulnerability in their own gym's problems. And we built the course for it. So if you listen to this and you're like, that is interesting to me and you're looking for someone to help you with it, we can do it. You should just reach out. Active Life Professional on Instagram, shoot him a DM. But it's, it's, it's not about that. What I want you to understand is that the first thing you need to do is look at your business, look at what's going wrong, and face it head on. That requires vulnerability. I love it. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, one last thing to add. It doesn't end. Like it, it doesn't end, you know, you, you think that you think that you're going to get to this place and you're going to all of a sudden have no insecurity left. It's going to be like, Oh man, business just cost a hundred thousand dollars. Like finally making money in here. Now I'm going to feel like the man. And then you don't. Right. And then it's like, there's a coach who has a problem because they're not making enough money. Like, okay, I got I got to get to $250,000 and then you get $250,000 and you're like, there's still problems. And then you realize it's not the money. The money is not what you're supposed to be dealing with. It's the influence. It's the intention. It's the effort. It's always, it's always going to be a thing that you think is the thing that isn't, but you have to conquer that thing to find out. So the question of what's the thing is the appropriate question until you do it. And then you have to ask yourself again, all right, well, what's the next thing? Yeah. It's a constant pursuit. I think the acceptance uh, of that in and of itself will alleviate a lot of anxiety. It will alleviate a lot of anxiety and it will create some, I mean, thinking about it myself creates anxiety for me. Like, God, what's the next thing going to be? <laughs> it's, <laughs> there's, I'm in a thing now. What's the next one going to be? I, I got to worry about another one after this. And yeah. They're just going to keep coming. All right. Looking forward to it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, 
Feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym, and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now. Thank you.